She's April. And she's Molly. And we are the Book Besties. What happened to the people on the ships? They don't even go by their names anymore. We have to save the Shakespeare. Going to be the divide between a before and an after. After a couple of weeks, it's like, I think it's precedented now. Like, I think we, I think we're good. That's how the original fairy tales, they're really dark. Like, they're not, they're not Disney. Hi! Hello! <laughs> oh so, my goodness! <laughs> so, everybody, Molly is still sick, but I have the absolute privilege of having our special guest host today, author Francesca Zappia. Which is just amazing. Back for Hello. your second time. My second time. I'm so excited. I know. I, I'm so excited too. I I can't I I have to fangirl a little bit because <laughs> I I love your book so much and like for me, like I can't stop talking about the fact that you're coming on the pod and it's just exciting for me. It's like we're just this little pod, but we love hanging out with you. So <laughs> I, I love hanging out with you guys. I love that I get to talk about one of my favorite books of all time. I get to talk about books in general, which right. I don't get to do that often, despite yeah. being an author. Um, well, I'm just so happy to be here. Yeah, and you're wearing your honorary Book Besties yes. t-shirt. Anybody uh, watching the video, you will be able to see it. It's it's gray with white lettering, so but it's my honorary Book Bestie t-shirt. Yes, we love it. Uh, mm -hmm. Molly refers to you as our bestie Chessie. So. Bestie Chessie. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I love that you wanted to come on and talk about a book that you love because like to me that like I love that we got to talk about your book but the mm -hmm. fact that you wanted to come back and talk about other books like that to me is really special because it's like yes you're not coming on here to promote yourself I mean sure we're definitely going to talk about your new book that I've already pre-ordered <laughs> but you're coming on because you love books and that's why Molly and I started this podcast because we love books so yes yeah I and uh, like I said I'm just so excited I I really when I love a book as much as I love this one, mm -hmm. those things where I, and I get to talk to somebody else who yeah. has read it and who also really enjoys it. It's like, mm -hmm. get to get into like the nitty gritty of it and like yeah. talk all the things that make it so special. And like, oh, it just, it just makes me so excited. Um, it's, it's basically my job, right? So I'm a librarian. So like, that's what I do is talk to people about books all the all day long. But because I'm a children's librarian, I really don't um, often get to talk about books that are grown up books. Yes, <laughs> and yes. this one is. <laughs> um, although recently, I, um, I run a teen program um, twice a month. And I do like book talks with the kids uh, uh -huh. just to to showcase our collection and I like to showcase the new books. And so we still have on our new bookshelf cats and yammer. So I showcased oh, that and said, and this is another book by her Eliza and her monsters. And this is one of my favorite books. So yeah, it was really great. So, Oh, that's awesome. Yay. <laughs> and I, you know, I Eliza and her monsters still a quote on my office, like wall, like it's, there's a monster in my brain that controls my doubt. That's my jam right there. <laughs> I love oh. it. Um, so I, speaking I of so <laughs> speaking of your writing, so tell us about what you've got coming out next year. Yes. So next year in March of 2023, 
Uh, I have a book coming out called Grey Mist Fair. And if mm-hmm. whoever's watching this, you'll be able to see the cover. I'm going to have my advanced copies here. It is a beautiful mm-hmm. fantasy book. It's um, So it is a retelling of Grimm's fairy tales, mm-hmm. lesser known Grimm's fairy tales, kind of put together in like an anthology format. Mm-hmm. But they all the stories together tell an overarching story about this magical village in the woods. Nice. Um, and the people who live there. And... Uh, it's a it's a story that I worked on for I think probably ten years. I think ten wow. years ago was when I originally came up with the idea, and it just took a long time to come to fruition. Yeah. Um, but I and really are love you it. are there illustrations in there that you've done as like you do for some of your other books? Yeah. So um, this one, it's not going to have like full page illustrations the way that Eliza and Katzenhammer did, but it does have uh, it will have spot art on the mm. chapter headers the way that nice. like. Adamsville had some spot mm-hmm. art and made you up had spot art on the chapter header. Right. So it's going to have some of that, that kind of stuff in it. I love that. Yeah. So I've pre-ordered my copy. We'll put a link below to, uh, Chessie's website so you can pre-order a copy. Um, and, uh, is it up on your website now that they can pre-order? Yes. Yes. Okay. There are links on my website. Perfect. You just go to the book page. In fact, it's, it's the landing page of the website. So wonderful. Just go straight there. <laughs> wonderful. So we'll do that. We'll put that there. So pre-order that book. It comes out in March, correct? Yes. March 28th, 2023. Awesome. awesome. I'm very excited. It also, the cover gives me spooky vibes. It's um, a little, it's a little spooky. A little spooky. I loved reading uh, Grimm's fairy tales. Uh, when mm-hmm. I was like middle school, I went through this phase where I was like, I'm going to be like super dark and angsty. And people yes. don't like always realize that like, that's how the original fairy tales, they're really dark. Like they're not, yeah. they're not Disney. No, um, no, no. <laughs> so very- Go ahead. So I went through this whole, like, I'm going to read Poe and I'm going to read, you know, mm-hmm. the middle schooler angst. It's oh, real. I got you. I was there. <laughs> I, I went through that too. There's um one of my favorite stories that I used um, for Grey Mist Fair. Cause I went, I, I have an anthology of like all their, their complete collection. Mm-hmm. And I went through and I was like, which ones of these would, would be interesting in some way to put together in a book. And one of them was um, Clever Hans, mm. which, um, I don't know if you've read that one, but it is gnarly. Like maybe I'm talking I, about like I'm not sure. I don't remember now. I'm talking like cow eyeballs getting thrown at a young girl. It, it's it's wild. It is weird <laughs> and like it is like dark comedy almost. Um, there are no eyeballs that get thrown at anybody in Greymist Fair. Um, Good to know. Good to know. <laughs> not, none of that. It's not that dark. It isn't. It does not get near cats and yammer levels of anything. So. Oh yeah. Yeah, Katzenhammer really is dark. Katzenhammer is dark. Grimmest Fair is more like original Grimm's fairy Mm -hmm. tales. Spooky. It's atmospheric. Yeah. Well, I love that. I think that's going to be great. So let's talk about what we're here to talk about. Oh, before we do that. Before we do that. Have you, are you still working on the piano story that you were working on before? Yeah, I am. I am still, it is still there. Um, My agent actually asked me about it. She was like, where are you with that one? And I was like. I'm like, it's around. I'm still figuring out what to do with it. I was loving following your updates on Instagram. So Molly oh, yes. runs our TikTok and I run our Instagram. Um, and I, I, so I know you're posting from TikTok, but I was uh-huh. loving like watching them. And then I was like, when is this going to happen? I need to read this book. It looks, sounds go so good. I need it. I need it in my life. Well, it has happened again where I'm like, oh, I need to rewrite this story. Like, it's it's going to be better. I need to rewrite it. So I rewrite it. I get like 25,000 words into it. And then I'm like, 
my my last draft was better than all of this. I should just go back and fix the last draft instead of trying to rewrite the entire thing. <laughs> That's fair. So That's fair. the book is written. Uh-huh. It's just I need to go back and revisit it and edit yeah. it more yeah. and everything. So hopefully it will. Um, this is this is what happens. See, like Grey Mist Fair is like 10 years ago. I started it. Right. I just never talked about it. So nobody right. ever knew that it was a thing that you could have. Right. And now it's like, now that I've talked about it, people are like seeing the entire length of the process. Yeah. So the piano book has been going for a while too. So I think yeah. it's, it should be soon. Okay. I'm, I'm going to hold you to that. But okay. we, today, you're actually going to be our guest host. You're going to host and I'm yes. just going to sit back and enjoy the ride. And we are going to talk about this book, Station Eleven by Emily St. John Mandel. And um, so if you're confused, no, Chesy did not write this book. <laughs> I did not write this. Sadly, I wish I had. <laughs> I wish I'd written this book. Chesy loves this book. I love this oh. book. Um, it's just such a, it's one that stays with you. Like, like yes. I feel like that, like it's has stayed with me because I read it when it first came out. Um, the library system where I worked in Ohio, we had a one city, one book, and this uh-huh. is the book we did. And I, even though I was on staff, could not get tickets to go in and see her speak, which was like so disappointing. <laughs> Um, yeah, but, wild. Yeah, crazy. I mean, it, she just, it, everything was, it was packed. It was packed. Mm-hmm. Um, so I read this long before it was an HBO series, long before we went through a pandemic. And I know <sighs> you did as well. Um, yes. So we have, we have different feelings about it. So, yes. um, so yeah. So I, you, well, want- well, go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to say, I read this. I, re- I first read this. I think it had just come out on paperback because mm-hmm. it was on the like, buy two, get the third 50% off table paperbacks at Barnes and Noble. Yeah. Um, And I had seen it a couple times and like, I hadn't heard anything about it at that point. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I, you know, I read it and I was like, what, why is no one talking about this? Why is nobody talking about this book? Yeah. And then of course everybody did. So I was like, good, you should, everyone should. Yeah. Well, actually I said that I had read it when it first came out, but I just looked and it came out in 2014 and I definitely read it in 2015. So I must've read it a year later, but um, I read it on mm-hmm. Kindle at the time I was like momming. So like the Kindle was life for me. Um, mm-hmm. And so I'm sad that Molly isn't here because she did the audiobook, and like, I haven't listened oh. to the audiobook, so I don't know how the narrator is, but I love yeah. like, hearing that. But um, yeah, so I read the Kindle version and then I bought the paperback for this episode and read it as well. And there's something about like holding this book. Like it, it is like there really is. They felt different. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's so strange how different like holding it is and just being able to, we'll get into it. There's we'll so many things it. about yeah. this book that I love. So do you want to start us off with a synopsis? Yes, I will start yeah. us with a synopsis. Let me, right. let me bring this up here. All right, here we go. Station Eleven tells the story of the end of the world due to a pandemic flu and what becomes of humanity 20 years afterward. The book is made up of many interweaving points of view, but the two central characters that drive the story are Arthur Leander, a megastar actor in the world before, and Kirsten Raymond, an actress with the Traveling Symphony who largely only remembers her life growing up in the world after. After an encounter with the sinister prophet, On their route, the Symphony and Kirsten find themselves in a bad situation started decades in the past. Mm. The Prophet believes that the world can and will be returned to the way it was, and has convinced his followers of the same. 
As the story unfolds, we find out that the prophet is Arthur Leander's son. Mm-hmm. A final confrontation between Kirsten and the prophet happens outside the Severn City Airport, which is now known as the Museum of Civilization. The prophet is killed by one of his own, and Kirsten and the symphony arrive safely at their destination. Um, so I wrote that out. I hope people know that it's spoilers because listen, we always do spoilers here. If you didn't also, read the book, you shouldn't be here. <laughs> like, <laughs> also, I feel like this book. I feel like this is one of those stories that kind of is bigger than its spoilers. Oh yeah. It's about the oh, process yeah. of reading it and the, the thoughts that you have while you're reading mm-hmm. it. It's not about the spoilers. Yeah. Um, well, and I kind of figured out a lot of the spoilers like halfway through, like I, my first yeah. reading. So I didn't figure out that the prophet would be killed by one of his own, but like, I was like, mm-hmm. Oh, this is 100% Arthur Leander's son. Like this, this is, is Tyler. This yeah. is him. Yeah. And I, like I figured that out in my first reading very early on. Mm-hmm. Um, but still the way the story weaves together, that's the brilliance of this book. It's, it's yes. not the spoilers. It's, it's not the spoilers. Yeah. And that's like, I think that is the mark of like a really good story is when you can guess the, the twists or mm-hmm. the spoilers or whatever, because the book sets up your expectations so right. well and puts all the pieces together so well, but you still, a, you are glad because your expectations were met, but also you still want to see how it all unfolds. Right. 100%. I totally mm-hmm. agree. And yeah. Um, yeah, and this book is just, it's really well, well written. Like I have read really crappy books that I've still loved. And we mm-hmm. use this example all <laughs> yes. the time on this show, but Twilight is poorly written. It's poorly written, but I love it so much. <laughs> this book, this book is just really like, it's, so carefully crafted it's like mm-hmm. a master class in writing yes like yes as a former english teacher and now a librarian this is like the kind of stuff that you point to where you're like this is how you weave a story yes and i was thinking about this earlier because with with pretty much all books i'm super critical and like most books mm-hmm. even if i love them deeply i can still you know no book is perfect i can still no. find some things that i'm like oh that could have been done better or whatever and I've read all of her books mm-hmm. and with those, I'm like, I enjoy them, but I, you know, I'm like, Oh, the pacing was a little off here. or This was mm-hmm. weird or whatever. This I have, n- I cannot think of any complaints that I have with this book. No, this I, is actually I, the only one I've read by her, but I feel the same way. Like, I'm like, there's nothing that I'm like, you know, it's like, Oh yeah. It's just good. It's just, it's, just good. S- it's solid. So yeah. Yeah. Um, and also, this book was very hard for me to synopsize because of <laughs> the way it kind of encapsulates one of my favorite quotes of all time. Yeah. Um, which I, I'll go ahead and read right now just so sure. we get it out of the way. But um, so it's from Slaughterhouse Five by Vonnegut. Uh-huh. And it goes, um, they're talking about the, the aliens in Slaughterhouse Five and how they see art or how mm-hmm. they form their art. And it goes, There isn't any particular relationship between all the messages, except that the author has chosen them carefully so that when seen all at once, they produce an image of life that is beautiful and surprising and deep. So like, obviously this is not perfect toward this. Like Mm -hmm. there are messages, there are relationships between all the messages, but like this book is something that it's like, it is when you see it as a whole Mm -hmm. that it is like, I, you finish the book and I, like, I just have to sit there and like, yeah. just contemplate the world and my life for a while. And right. It's like, wow, all of that just really hit me right hard. Yeah. Um, it's definitely a book that you have to sit with. You really do. Oh, yeah. Like, after you're done, you have to like sit there for a moment and you're like, okay, 
Okay. Yeah. And I know this is one of your questions, but it feels no, different ahead. reading it now having yes. lived through a pandemic. Yeah. Let's start with that. Let's yeah, start with let's... that because one of, one of my questions was, um, uh, if this wasn't your first time reading the book, did you first read it pre-pandemic, which we both did? Mm -hmm. uh, what's the difference in, in experience reading this book pre and post pandemic? Yeah. So Molly doesn't remember the first time she read it, which mm -hmm. to me is like, how do you, <laughs> how, how do you forget this book? Um, but I have a different feeling now because when mm -hmm. I read it the first time, I think I was more afraid, like, oh, mm -hmm. shit, this could really kill 95% of the population. Like, mm -hmm. and when I talk about this on the pod a lot, I have an anxiety disorder. And mm -hmm. when you have an anxiety disorder, something like a pandemic, not fun, no. just hands down, not no. where you, your brain wants to be. So having read this before, I was like, yes, this could definitely happen. But to be honest with you, reading it this time, I felt more hopeful because what happened in this book was not what happened with COVID. Yes. Like this book killed 95% of the population at the drop of a hat. People were dying within hours of contracting mm -hmm. um, their flu. I can't yes. remember what their flu The Georgia was. flu. Thank you. The Georgia flu. Um, yeah. And uh, so they were dying within hours of contracting it. And that wasn't happening with COVID. And additionally, people were, you know, coming together to try to to stop the spread of COVID. So yes. li libraries were closing, which was like really hard for me, not because mm -hmm. it's my job and I was worried about my job, but because libraries are like one of the last place, they mm -hmm. are the last place you can be without any expectations to buy anything. Yes. It's a safe space for a lot it's of a people. Spot. Schools yes. were closing, safe space for a lot of people. Um, mm -hmm. So for me, that doing those things was initially scary, but I was like, but we're going to make this better. We're going to prevent this from turning into what happens in this book. Yes. Um, and so reading it this time, I felt, you know, this is hopeful. Like we could, mm -hmm. we could experience a flu and we could overcome it. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. I think, I, I think it was similar for me. I remember the first time I read it, I, I, at the time, you know, I had, I had known about the whole thing of like, oh, we experience like a major pandemic every hundred years or so, mm -hmm. whatever. Um, and I had heard people saying like, oh, we're due for another one and everything. Mm -hmm. And it was reading it the first time was definitely like scarier and like, oh my God, what if this really happened? What if this and really then, happened? Yeah. What if this really happened? And then COVID happens and then you read it again and it's like COVID was bad mm -hmm. and it is it's like it wasn't as bad as this mm -hmm. and even then in reading this it kind of reminds you that like it will be it will if if something this bad happened mm -hmm. it would be sad you would feel lost you would grieve assuming you didn't die assuming you were still alive right, to right. you know whatever um but there would be, there would still be things to be happy about and to care about. And, right. you know, um, and we can look back on the way things were and say, wow, what a time when we could, you know, we could go to the airports without wondering, like, right. is somebody here going to give me a pandemic? Right. Like, am I going to con contract something? Um, you know, a time before I went to where whatever crowded place right. and wondered, am I about to touch something that somebody else touched and they were super right. sick? Right. So it's, it's, 
it, there is a, a definitely a difference reading this pre and post pandemic. Um, sure. But also another thing I noticed about reading it post pandemic is that like, now that we've lived through a pandemic, it's like, I almost wondered if this would feel cheap or off, like, right. Because, Oh, now I've experienced the real thing. And it still did. It, still it was didn't. still, it was solid. It was like, yeah, if, if this situation happened, it was like, yeah, you would get the run on the grocery stores. You would get the right the people knocking on apartments and looters and rioting and all that right. stuff. Um, and it did make me question more on this reading because, you know, COVID was predicted to be arguably a lot more deadly than it ended up being. And that is not to say to downplay COVID at all. Right. It was certainly deadly and we did lose a lot of people to COVID. But had we not done the things that we did, masking, yes. slow spread, stay home, mm -hmm. those kind of things, it could have been a lot worse. Um, when I was reading this, I kept coming up with questions like, what really would be the end of civilization if a flu did decimate the population? So I actually mm -hmm. asked our friend, Nurse Katie, um, oh. who uh, she is a nurse practitioner. She mm -hmm. uh, works with uh with cancer patients, that's her specialty. But what she said the end would actually be would not be so much the flu as it mm -hmm. would be um, the collapse of civilization. So yes. um, the fighting for resources, there mm -hmm. would most definitely be a famine and lack of probably clean water. Um, and those yep. things would kill people more quickly, um, the, the survivors more quickly, because... Yes that we would have a lack of resources. And that's what actually happens in this book. Like, you know, they lose everything. They lose power. And the book, most of the book takes place 20 years after the flu and they yeah. still don't have electricity. And so I think my first time reading it, I was going like, why didn't they just find somebody to fix the electricity? And this time I was going, okay, because they're really legitly was not, were not people to do that. Like they just yeah. weren't there. Yeah. The infrastructure just crumbles. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and something like to that point, most, like most of the story takes place either pre the pandemic mm -hmm. or 20 years post the one part that does take place, like during the early days mm -hmm. is Jeevan's part. Right. And the parts where he, I remember the first time I read this, the parts where he's in the apartment with his brother mm -hmm. are so, there's the one part where. There, there's somebody like he he barricades the door and then right. somebody's like banging on the door trying to get in and they just go really quiet mm -hmm. that was the scariest part to me because it's like yeah you couldn't leave because it would just be right people killing each other for resources right like mass panic he talks about the highway being packed with cars right and seeing people getting out and walking um and i mean where would you go I mean, yeah. really, you can't, I mean, I guess the idea would be to be, leave the big cities where it was going to spread faster, but really, where could you go? Yeah. And, in this book, the flu went through civilization, the world's population, 95% mm -hmm. of the world's population in like a matter of weeks. Yeah. There was no escaping it. Yeah, exactly. Um, so uh, yeah, it was, whew. Um, scary. It was scary. Mm -hmm. um, did you, have you watched the HBO series? All right, so I had intended to reread this book so I could watch the HBO series and had not, and then, mm -hmm. you know, obviously reread it for this episode. So I was like, I'm going to watch it to prepare. I watched an episode and a half before I quit. Really? I don't know what mm -hmm. they did oh, to, no. con to convince her to let them change so much, but it was so incredibly different. No. I couldn't handle it. 
Okay, so I have not watched any of it. What did they change? So first of all, um, Kirsten and G- goes back to Jeevan's house with his, with to the apartment with him and his brother. Her parents oh. die. There's no big brother that like cares for her, which is like such an integral part of like her of her yeah. story, like how she was raised by him until he died, like how they walked that that doesn't happen. And yeah. I didn't get far enough into it to find out how she separates from Jeevan because she does. But um yeah, he also he when he runs up on the stage to like save Arthur, he doesn't know how to do CPR. Oh, he's not a paramedic? He's not a paramedic. That's which, a huge part of his that's story. A huge part of it. Which like right off the bat my friend Megan who also loves this book um and had already seen the series and I'm like what the fuck is this like what is happening I was so angry about it um and like the the halfway through mm, is it the first episode or is it the second episode one of the episodes that I was watching mm-hmm. Kirsten stabs the prophet to kill him they meet super early she stabs him and he doesn't actually die but she thinks he's dead oh <sighs> And so, like, like one of my favorite things when a book is made into a movie or a show uh-huh. is when the author is involved, because yeah. I can always tell it's always so much closer to the text because the author is like, you know, you want to be, I want you to be careful with what yeah. you're doing. And I don't know how involved she was, but like, this book is a National Book Award finalist. What did HBO think they were doing? <laughs> the audacity. I have so many, I have so many TV adaptation related thoughts on everything, mm-hmm. not just this book, but like, that makes me feel like somebody was like, we need more action. We need the characters to be more involved with each other. And mm-hmm. it's like, the beauty of this book is in the, the vague connections that right. they have between each other, not the direct connections. Right. Like, Kirsten, I don't want Kirsten to meet the prophet until the end. Mm-mm. No, they don't have a personal connection. Their connection is in the decades and the people Mm -hmm. between them. And Mm -hmm. oh my god! And the and the Station Eleven comic book, which and the Station Eleven comic book, yeah, which she then like recites to him at the end like a prayer. Mm -hmm. And he that happens in like the second episode of the HBO series. He says something from it that she's like, "How do you know that quote?" And then they have to call it out and be like, look how obvious it is. Where in the book, it's like, you've been sitting with Station Eleven this whole time. Mm-hmm. And you understand it. And Right. Okay, well, and I, mean, I won't be understand how they, Yeah, I wouldn't. I gave up. And I can kind of understand why they wanted to weave Jeevan's story in more. Because it is disconnected mm-hmm. from the book. Although, I have a theory about that. And I know you have a question about it, so I'll hold off. Yeah. But. But I think that that's why they were trying to put him in with her at the beginning. Mm -hmm. But you really miss that relationship between him and his brother. His brother is also not in a wheelchair. He uses a cane. And part of the story, his brother kills himself because he didn't want to be a burden, right? He didn't didn't think he'd survive outside of the apartment anyway. Yeah. Um, And that's like such a huge part of Jeevan's story. Um, And so, and they don't really have a lot of the story with... um, Oh, his friend who's British, who runs the Oh, Clark. Clark. There's not a lot of Clark in there. Well, at least not the first episode. Uh, Yeah, that might come. I don't know how many episodes there are. Uh, Yeah, I think there's like eight or something. But anyway, it was just so bad that I was like, no, I'm not finishing this. I'm not. (laughs) So... God, I, mm, I'm so mad. I'm so mad with... with I was too. Things lately. Um, Okay, so... 
this that's exactly why I didn't watch it by the way I was like I just feel like they're gonna they're gonna do something to it and I mm. care about it too much to mm-hmm. to get angry about it so so let's go ahead to that Jeevan question so the question okay. is of all the threads of Arthur's life that come together at the end of the book mm-hmm. Jeevan is the one that dangles separately from the rest right what do you think this means what was the point of Jeevan's story so I actually think you don't get the answer to Jeevan. It's left open, but I'm pretty sure that his civilization is the one that has electricity at the end. Oh, I just, didn't even consider. Well, just, I thought, hold on, because, okay, so she's up at Severn City, right? Which right. is like in Michigan, Michigan. or is that up in Canada? It's okay, it's in Michigan. Mm-hmm. Jeevan is in like South Carolina at the end. Is he? Because I thought I it think, was, I thought it was just, okay, well, you could be right see, and I could be wrong. Let me see if I can look it up. Um, we're always getting the information on the fly i love it (laughs) i know um oh see now it's only talking about that the tv show well that's dumb i just remember that directionally it was the the lights were coming from southwest of where they were yeah or southeast one of those and that was directionally where he was but i could be be wrong that he could be more south um, and that does make sense because I think there's that whole story of the prophets people coming through there. But yes, um, I was thinking that his town was the one that had advanced enough to have the, the power at that point. Um, yeah. I think it's interesting because, so I put this in our, in our notes when I was taking random notes. So Arthur Leander dies mm-hmm. moments before the pandemic starts. Right. So yes. hours before uh, Jeevan is notified, like, this is a pandemic, yes. like it's going to be deadly. It's going to be bad. And I had this thought of Kobe Bryant dying in 2020 and how interesting, how I had wondered about that, that thing that you wrote. Oh yeah. Where I'm just like Kobe Bryant and Arthur. Lee. I was like, what? What does that mean? Like, keep, keep going. Yeah. So I think a lot of people forget that that actually happened the same year that COVID started because it was just a month or two. Be- I think it was just a couple of weeks before COVID wow. shutdown started. Yeah. And um, how interesting it is that like this story weaves together behind beyond a re- around a famous person and how all these people connect to him mm-hmm. and how yeah. they survived. And Kobe Bryant, uh, also a famous person, died right before our pandemic started. And mm-hmm. I just thought that was really interesting. Like I feel like somebody could trace that story, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, so anyway, but Jeevan... I think Jeevan's character isn't necessary other than to tell you what it was like during the pandemic, because he's Mm -hmm. the only one that like, we actually get that story. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I agree with that. Um, cause definitely like you get, you get the, like, as it literally just started Mm -hmm. the, the very close weeks afterwards. And then just a sprinkle of like where he was 20 years later, he has Mm -hmm. a son, he has a wife. He's right helping people yeah he um, survived and survived better you know yes yeah and like i think it actually like i i think his story still dovetails with the other character stories and the overall themes of the book Mm -hmm. so like i i'm sure there's more there part of the reason why i asked that question was because i was sitting there wondering about it myself like Mm -hmm. i feel like i don't have a good answer for that yeah and maybe Maybe five years from now, I'll read the book again and 
like it'll come to me like like I'll, i'll see something different like i also feel like it's important that he's the unnamed person that rushes the stage because clark and kirsten would love to know who that person was right but Mm -hmm. because of the collapse of civilization because of the georgian flu Mm -hmm. like we never find out who that person is we never find out if they survive the pandemic i mean we know because we read the book but like they never know and you saying that there there are parts in the book where i think kirsten specifically talks about like wanting to know who someone is or you know, who did this, who thought of this, who, whatever. And it's like, she'll never know. And it's that mystery of losing our inter, losing our, our interconnectedness as a world. Oh yeah. And our ability to find each other. And like, our lives are so different and so mysterious now. And there are some things we will just never know. And, but we, as a reader get to know who that was. I mean, uh, we never get a look at outside of the U.S. and particularly just like this one part of the U.S., right? right. Um, like it starts in Toronto and then they basically are in the like, Great Lakes region. Yeah, the Great Lakes area where, where I'm from and where you mm-hmm. live now. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So, um, yeah. So, I mean, like that's mostly where they stay. But because of how connected our world is now globally, we have access to people around the world. I mean, yeah we have tons of access, but a lot of that has to do with the fact that we have the internet Mm -hmm. and we have electricity. And without that, they literally don't even know if there are any survivors overseas at all. Like they have no way of knowing. Mm -hmm. Um, And Kirsten doesn't even know if her parents actually died or just could never make it back to her. She never knows. She never knows. I think the only outside of the Great Lakes region we get is uh, Miranda because she dies in Malaysia. Right. She does. But, But it's, it's not like a, you don't really get to see that area. It is just like you see like her hotel and the beach mm-hmm. and the ships on the horizon. And the one ship that no one's onboarded, which is just crazy oh, to me the, to think the about. airplane. That on the first read, that was the that I, was the scariest thing in that oh, first reread. No, it was like the yeah, definitely the airplane. But I mean, like, she's talking about how there are ships that she knows oh, there the are people on. ships never onboarded. Yes. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, mm-hmm. like, I wonder how long they stayed there because they could have survived the flu. Yeah. Yeah, you know? they could just be on. Oh, man. That's part of what I love about this book is the, like, as a reader getting to wonder, like, right. what happened to the people on the ships? And right. it's like... It, it's not a mystery that I really want answered. Right. But it is like a... Oh, it just gives you that big feeling right. like what right. happened there's more there that's there the feeling more. you get and yes. with, with the plane there's a plane that flies in and lands at the severn city airport and they never onboard um and it's basically you know you come to the conclusion that they all died and yeah. at whatever level of death they were in there were definitely people on that plane who when it landed were alive yeah and, yeah, yeah, yeah probably trying to get out and that to me that imagery that was created there she didn't need to describe anything more than we don't know what ha- they just stayed in the plane they never onboarded and that's yep. enough to terrify you like terrify. literally terrify me yes i, I actually have chills <laughs> yeah like every time i talk about it i'm just like yeah it's like and that's the that's the power of like imagery she never shows you what's in the plane they don't look through the windows you get that scene of Tyler, like Clark finds Tyler standing outside the plane, mm-hmm. reading from the book of revelations, yeah, condemning all of them. Like mm-hmm. he's like, well, we got to There's dead people in there. We got to say like, and it's so creepy. It's so like, right. 
And I mean, that's what starts Tyler as being, you know, the prophet. It's the beginning of that, right? It's that religious, like, hierarchy, right? So he Mm -hmm. feels like he's better because he survived. Yes. Yes. Um, And, you know, probably some of that comes from the privilege in which he was raised because he's Arthur Leander's son and his mom was also a famous actress. So he was raised with a lot of privilege. Yes. Well, you know, for eight years until his parent, you know, the until, pandemic. Until everything <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so he gets a little crazy about like, this is God's way of cleansing the earth. And mm-hmm. um, I mean, it's a little kooky, but like, we still saw that happen with COVID, right? Right. We saw that happen in the, uh, in the eighties with the rise of AIDS. Like this is God's way of oh. cleansing the earth, which like, that's complete nonsense. Like I go to church every Sunday. That's not what the Bible teaches us. You just need to shut up about that. (laughs) Right. It's like, nope, this is your own thing that you're making up right now. This is not, this is not God. Yes, exactly. And it's like, it's that, that thing that he's doing that, like I am God's chosen Mm -hmm. people who survived. Um, We need to like rebuild the world. Everything's Mm going to happen as it should. And it's just like, wow, he, it is one of those things of he's fully bought into this and right. we're gonna, this is bad. This is bad news bears. Like, yeah, he, it's not the pandemic that causes the, de- like you were saying, it's not right. the pandemic that causes the downfall of civilization. Right. It is all the people who, the survivors right. who aren't suited for it and can't, right. you know, um, come together and and work together on it is that like you know divided we fall kind of thing and that was my biggest issue with the story not with the writing like it's really big well written and probably more accurate than what i want to happen but i want people (laughs) to come together and want to make things better like we are going to restore power we are going to work together to have food and resources and things like that but that's just not how people are people are literally hoarding toilet paper in 2020 right yes like that was a thing Thing. so i mean yeah. we this is what would happen our civilization would collapse because we're so used to the comforts and we mm-hmm. wouldn't work together and that makes me sad yeah and i think part of it is like the people who would work together i think would learn very quickly to be so wary of mm-hmm. everybody else that it's mm-hmm. like it would be so hard to build trust between people after that point right and like, you would end up being like kirsten you would end yes. up having to kill people and not loving that side of yourself but knowing that that's the only way that you can protect yourself Exactly. Exactly. Um, and like you see it at like the airport and the mm-hmm. museum of civilization, like those people do come together mm-hmm. and like they did manage to reform a civilization. You see it in like Jeevan's where Jeevan ends up. Right. Like, right. They managed to reform communities have reformed right after 20 years. Like, right. I mean, in the traveling circuit or traveling circuit, tra- traveling symphony is also uh-huh. a civilization. They're yes. a nomad civilization, right? But they still right. are. They have a hierarchy. They have leaders. Um, they've really given over to self so much so. And I put this in the notes. They don't even go by their names anymore. Yes. Right? They I want to talk about. Oh. Yeah, let's let's talk about the traveling symphony because okay, yeah. I I love the stuff that you wrote in here for so, so like yeah like not going by their names anymore right and what does that say about this time after after the pandemic right. because I hadn't really it made sense to me that some of them wouldn't go by their names but I didn't think about it I was just like oh yeah that makes sense but I wasn't like I want to know what your thoughts are on that 
So I think, so I've been a part of teams and I was also in marching band. So like, you know, I can get the whole, that's the first trumpet kind of thing. But for me, this was like a complete loss of identity. Like Mm -hmm. they completely abandoned who they were before. And some of them like Kirsten don't really remember who they were. And they have kids that are younger than her that were born after the pandemic. So they don't know who they are either, but it's a complete abandonment of that. It's a, we are this unit together and Mm -hmm. that's, that's what you do. You go by that and you represent us as a whole. And once someone dies within their group, they don't replace them. You don't go from second to first. You still be second. The first is just gone. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that was just a really interesting choice. Kirsten always goes by Kirsten, but it seems like to me, like the actors go by their names. It's the musicians that don't. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a weird choice because the actors play different characters. Like they are no longer themselves. Yeah. And I wonder if that's it, if it's because like they play so many different characters that it's like you have to go by your name because you're not stuck in one right. role. Right. Um, but that is interesting. I hadn't thought about that. That the But can we talk about play. Shakespeare for a minute? Because that's Absolutely what they do. They do Shakespeare. And like, yes. listen, I've literally <laughs> been to Shakespeare's birthplace. I love Shakespeare. Former English teacher. I'm going to love mm-hmm. Shakespeare, right? Um, Hamlet is my favorite play ever. Like, uh-huh. It, hands down, it's my favorite. Um, I do not get why that would be the thing that everyone would latch on to. I know that she's drawing the parallel between, like, you mm-hmm. know, he's his civilization survived another pandemic. Mm-hmm. But to me, that is not the thing that would people that survived a pandemic would latch on to. It's mm-hmm. also not very relatable. Like, Shakespeare is... It's very elitist. Like when it was written, it was written for the common man, right? He invented all sorts of words and all sorts of language. And he really made it for the people who were standing, not the people who were up in the boxes. Mm -hmm. But it's elitist today. So I'm just shocked that that's the thing that everyone would be related to. Like that they would like that. Yeah, I, I, that is interesting because it is almost like a, it's, it would be like if, the oh the world there was a pandemic the world collapsed the books that we decided to keep were all the classics like we kept all the charles dickens it's like no man no i'm saving absolutely. i'm saving this book like right, right. i'm not saving charles dickens can go into the river like he can be kindling for the fire i don't care listen um, the great american read that pbs did one of the top 10 books that was voted was 50 shades of gray so people are not saving dickens that's not happening no and like <laughs> I can see it, and this is, if any of my theater kid friends ever listen to this, I apologize, <laughs> but I think this may have been theater kid bias, because it's like, if the actors are the ones saving the mm-hmm. scripts, I can imagine some of them being like, we have to save the Shakespeare. Like, right. And and it could have been a thing, like, and, and this is me probably giving more leeway to the book than I should, but like, it could have been a thing where they were like, we're going to perform Shakespeare because this is something that people know like not only will our actors know it and our musicians probably like can pretty easily come up with some music for it but like people that remember the before times Mm -hmm. will be comforted by something that's so ubiquitous sort of um yeah but really and i know it was really people know hamilton better than they know shakespeare (laughs) exactly it's like why aren't you doing hamilton like right Maybe, maybe the script, maybe like, the, the scripts were easier. I don't know. But, like, I, um, I, I also, like, I'm like, I don't care about Shakespeare. 
Um, literally, but but uh, one thing I did, and and you're right, like it is for the it's for the parallels, it's for the ideas of like mm-hmm. Shakespeare was also like during a. I think it also draws on the fact that that's she was in a Shakespearean play with Arthur Leander when he died. Like yeah. I think it's that too. But I just. I don't, I, I, I don't believe her. I don't believe her that that's the thing that people would latch onto because Kirsten literally says that they tried other things, but they didn't work. That Shakespeare was yeah. the, the crowd pleaser. And I'm like, nah, I don't, I don't, I don't believe that. True. No, I don't know. Did you, did you try the book of Mormon? Because that's pretty funny. Did you like, try literally anything else? Literally anything else. Literally anything else. Um, like, so, so one thing I wrote in here about Shakespeare um, near the end of the book, Mm-hmm. One of the characters of the Traveling Symphony starts, I think it's the clarinet. She mm-hmm. starts trying to write her own yes. play mm-hmm. because she she says that Shakespeare is is insufficient. Mm-hmm. Um, which it kind of parallels the way that they say that like survival is insufficient. But right. like you, their repertoire needs more. The clarinet was going to write her own play. So it's about like, we can't, even now, today, right. we can't just depend on our classics right. for our morals and our stories and our beliefs about things right. like we need to continue creating into the future. Right. And like with the book, the book is about how like the past is gone. Right. And there are some people who will do anything to get the past back. Right. And they can't let go of their memories and people who are sad about it, but are still moving forward. Right. And then the young people who don't remember the past, right. their memories are, they only go forward. Right. And so like, just, I really love this idea of like, we can't only rely on our past and our memories. Mm-hmm. We have to keep moving forward. We have to cre- keep creating new right. things. Um, yeah. I think um, what you just said reminded me of the very beginning of this book. And if I can find the quote, I'm just going to read it. Um, and maybe I have it marked. So I was reading your questions and being like, um, well, now I have to take notes like I'm an English major again. <laughs> so this is where um, Jeevan finds out that this is going to be a, a bit bad thing. Yeah. So Jeevan was crushed by a sudden certainty that this was it, that this illness Hua was describing was going to be the divide between a before and an after, a line drawn through his life. And I feel like that doesn't just describe this book. It doesn't just describe the pandemic in this book. It doesn't just describe COVID. It describes so many points in our lives. Like 9-11, for example, I was in college when that happened and watched the towers come down live on TV. And it was Mm -hmm. life-changing for me. It was a line. This is something different from here on. And you get kids in this book, like Kirsten, who can't remember the before, but you also have kids who are born after who literally don't even know that anything else existed. Um, And I think that was a really interesting, like, look at it. Like, this is the moment. This is the life-changing moment. Um, Yeah, for sure. And the book is just so deep. It's so good. It's it's, it's so deep. It's so good. It's so good. Um, So, uh, Oh, goodness, I'm I'm like oh god, which of my questions do I want to get to first? I don't know. <laughs> so much that I want to. So okay, this book has a lot of different point of view characters. We have yes. Kirsten, even Arthur, Miranda, Clark, um, maybe some random ones thrown in there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, never the well, prophet though, which was a really good choice. Never the prophet. I really liked that. I Very liked that she choice. did not give him. We never got into his head, which I liked. Mm-hmm. Was there one point of view that affected you more than the others? 
Um, I actually really liked Miranda's story a lot. Mm-hmm. I liked that it weaved together from like when she was young until she was not really even that old. She was only in her fifties when the pandemic mm-hmm. hit and she died. But I really liked her story. And even though Jeevan wasn't as connected to like the final story, he was woven into so much of her story. And so like, I liked that storyline a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know we're all supposed to follow Kirsten. Like she's kind of like the big deal. Right. Mm-hmm. But um, I don't know. I just, I kind of liked Miranda's story a lot. Yeah. I think Kirsten has kind of that, like the main character syndrome, which is not a bad thing. I right. think it's a thing that happens in a lot of stories because you have to have this character that is kind of the center post. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like, I don't like or dislike you. I see your function in the story. Right. And it's more about a function than it is about liking or disliking them. Right. I loved, I loved Miranda's. I love Jeevan's. I think the one that affected me the most was Clark's Mm -hmm. because he, so he starts off like in this job that does he enjoy it? It doesn't really seem like it. It doesn't Um, seem like the thing that he wanted to do. No, it seemed like kind of the thing that life herded him into. Mm-hmm. Um, and he talks about like the clients that he sees and how they are like, uh, I believe the term was high functioning sleepwalkers. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, he starts to wonder if he is one of them. Like, have I just kind of given up looking at the world and seeing what I want and how right. I feel just to get through life? Yeah. Um, and as he goes through, you know, he gets stuck at the airport. We see those early days from his point of view in the Severn City Airport. Right. Like, interacting with all these people. And he's kind of almost just a view piece for how everybody else is reacting to it. Mm-hmm. And, like, you see the girl who has the um, the depression and anxiety oh medication gosh. who just walks out of the airport and doesn't come back. That that scared me, too. That freaked me out when I first read it. Yes. Um, it's like, yeah, what would you do? medication yeah yeah um also another interesting point to talk about is how she goes about showing like a disability in this book and how that would affect mm-hmm. you if a pan- if this happened right um but um oh that's a good you know point. i know i i, I like me to write that down um <laughs> but like he you know he thinks about the plane he tries to he kind of feels like the one who is the binding agent for everybody who stays at the airport because he's the one who starts the museum of civilization. And like, he sees the beauty in memories Mm -hmm. and in showing people how the world was before, but Mm -hmm. he's also not so attached to the past that he wants to return. I mean, I think everybody would rather go back, but he's like, well, we can't. So we can look at the beauty of what was and we can remember and we can tell people these miracles that humanity performed, but we still have to deal with the world that we live in now and do the best that we can. Yeah. I mean, I think there's like a whole, like when his chapter starts with him getting on the plane, it's like basically by some miracle, he doesn't, he's in a cab that the cabbie's not affected. He infected, he goes on a a plane that's no one's infected. He somehow avoided everyone in the airport in New York city who was infected. He basically is a freaking miracle. And I think it changes him. And so as mm-hmm. you were talking, I, I was thinking about the fact that I feel like you could call each of these characters an anchor point 
but you'd have to unweave the story, right? Yes. You could, this story could be a collection of short stories of each of them mm-hmm. instead of being woven together like this. And when I was reading this again, um, I thought Miranda died much sooner in the novel. Like oh, I yeah. remember her, her dying, that she's looking out at the ships and that's the way that she goes. But mm-hmm. I was thinking that that happened like at the beginning of the book and it's more than 50% into the book yeah. when you actually get her death, which is crazy because at that point in time, you're so much into the 20 years later that you're like, how is someone still dying of this pandemic? Like everybody yes. else is gone already, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like you could do that. You could unweave the story and each of them is an anchor point. And because they're woven together, then the anchor point ends up being Arthur Leander, who doesn't survive to even see the pandemic. He And he doesn't even, that's the thing, the first time I read this, yeah. I thought he was like the first, one of the first victims no. of the, flu. he just has a heart attack. He has a heart attack. Like he's not even, he doesn't even know that the flu exists. He dies before yeah. that. He dies right before it. Like, Which is crazy. And then they talk about how like everybody in the theater, basically right. everybody oh. else who's in it, like dies weeks hours later, later, weeks later, weeks later. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's like yeah. oh it's it's and that's so well done that is written to be like one sentence the four people there one dies in three days one dies like it's written as one sentence like it's just off the cuff like no big deal and you're just yeah. like did she really just say that did she just tell us that all these people that were sitting here died of this flu within yeah. weeks Yeah. And she just did it so cavalierly. And then you're like, the expectations for this book, like you just, you know, from that point on, like, it's it's so good. It's so good. So So, (laughs) uh, now now that I'm thinking about it, like before I forget the the part about like how it would be to be, to have a disability, if Mm -hmm. something like this happened, and like, obviously COVID-19 was like very, very rough for everybody, but especially for people with disabilities. But like, so in this book we have, um, Jeevan's brother Frank, who is mm-hmm. in a wheelchair, right? Um, because he was shot, I believe. Yes, in he, was a, he was. He was a photographer, a war photographer, and got he shot. Was a war photographer and mm-hmm. got shot. Um, and then we have the girl who's on like the depression medication. Mm-hmm. Um, we have like, I mean, obviously in the post world, there's no like dental hygienic, so like mm-hmm. Kirsten is like losing teeth, right? Um, she looks pretty which, shiny in the HBO series, though. That's the, that's the other, I loved that she lost teeth mm-hmm. in the book because it's, it's like, real. yeah, it's real. You would not, there's nothing you can do if you lose teeth right. in a post-apocalypse. Right. Um, so Jeevan's brother, Frank, commits suicide because he doesn't want to be a burden. Mm-hmm. And I think to me, it also read as like, he knows that it's going to be even harder for him Mm-hmm. Because there's no there's no accessibility None. in the post Mm-mm. you know post end of the world it's right. you know it would it would be he he it, like I was just like yeah I yeah mm-hmm. but and I think about so my oldest son is autistic and mm-hmm. he's twice exceptional he's autistic and he's gifted and he's all kinds of brilliant but he struggled with the pandemic because school was canceled and that was his normalcy. And then we went on a hybrid schedule and he went back and forth, back and forth. And that kind of irregularity is just not good for him. Like he needs some stability Mm -hmm. in a schedule. And then when they started masking at school, 
his autism, he has hyperfixations with chewing on things. And so he was just oh, yeah. chewing on his mask all day. And so uh-huh. it was completely unsanitary. We were like sending like literally packs of disposable masks, masks yeah. with him daily because he would just eat them. Yeah. And so that was not healthy. And so I think about like that, somebody who's autistic, what would mm-hmm. you do? Like, how would I, how would I be able to convince him that we just have to walk, that we have to yeah. just go somewhere, that we just can't be here, that the comforts mm-hmm. that you know are just not available to you? Yeah. Because there's no way that I could explain that to him. There's just none. Yeah. Because I, I couldn't explain COVID to him. And that wasn't even nearly what this was, you know? Yeah, exactly. I couldn't explain COVID to myself as a person with anxiety disorder. I was just like, okay, we're all going to die now. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Here we like, go. What do you do? Like... And then the girl, yeah, the girl with the medication, it's like, you see her going around the airport, like asking anybody right. if they have any, and it's like, it's like, she's trying, and you know, as a reader, like, even if she finds some now, that's not going to last forever. Yeah. And there's nothing you can do. If you are yeah. anybody who has to take a medication, mm-hmm. you're done. You're like, done. That's it. That was the other thing that Katie said, and I forgot to mention, but she mentioned specifically people that take insulin and things like that, because yeah. they wouldn't have access to that they would die pretty quickly, even if they survived the flu. Um, yeah. yeah, because who would make the medicine? I was like, I yeah. asked her, like, do, do the hospitals like have to take the people knowing that this is like a deadly pandemic and then they as the hospital staff will also ne- die. And she was like, they can technically turn them away if it's like the hospital's full and we are overrun and mm-hmm. we can't, which is part of the reason why we needed to stay home during COVID. So we didn't overrun the hospitals. Right. But um, she said that, the hospital personnel would also have the choice to stay or not. And most of them, because given the nature of what they do for a living, that they save lives, they would stay and then they would die because that's what was happening. Right. Yeah. Um, And we did lose during COVID. We did lose a lot of people in the medical profession um, Mm -hmm. because they were caring for their patients um, and, and got sick. So, I mean, like, I, I feel like someone needs to like, I don't know, maybe there's an interview with her now post pandemic to see like, how did you like, you know, how do you feel the pandemic existed versus what you wrote? Um, But I feel like HBO picked up the book specifically because we went through a pandemic and then they just didn't do a good job with it. Yeah, that's uh, yeah. And it's like, oh, I don't feel like you did this. You didn't do it for the right reasons. Like, you know, whatever, whatever you want to say about it. But like, um, yeah, I agree. Um, You're editing s- our document right now. <laughs> I'm, 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 I am highlighting. I'm, I'm turning some of the questions black so that I can tell which questions we still <laughs> haven't talked about. Because, like, oh, I, there are so I, many things. Oh, I know. I have a note in here that on page two thirty six, someone says it's unprecedented, and I just thought that that was like so crazy because that's what kept being said during covid right it's unprecedented it's unprecedented. you're it's, right i was gonna ask you about that too like that they say it <laughs> unprecedented and it's like every single time that the numbers would go up during covid mm-hmm. you would see a newscaster saying unprecedented numbers it's like mm-hmm. after a couple of weeks it's like i think it's precedented now i think, like, I think we i think we know think we're good yeah yeah um oh my god so okay I'm backtracking a little bit That's to fine. Clark, Clark and the high functioning sleepwalkers. Mm-hmm. Um, oh yeah. I distracted you. I'm sorry. No, no, no. That's, uh, that's fine. Like I am good to go whichever way. Um, <laughs> do you agree with this idea of high functioning sleepwalkers? Um, yeah. So 
there are a lot of people who go throughout their days never really feeling deeply or pursuing mm -hmm. their joys and have yeah. you ever found yourself in that position oh yeah 100 percent um so i feel like i was like that when i was teaching um mm -hmm. the first time around so i was a teacher an english teacher before i got my master's degree and i feel like i just went through the motions that was just like get up take mm -hmm. a shower go to work do the things and i mean i definitely was battling depression at the time so that was part of the yeah. problem yes but i think that as a society like we do have people that just this is just what they do they go through the motions they do the things and there's no real like change in their be behavior or pattern and sometimes mm -hmm. you just need to be challenged like you need it yes. um and yeah so how about you uh, same so I, I definitely went through a period of this when I was at my, my old, like my full-time job. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it is that thing of like, which especially happened. I mean, we saw it happen with tons of people during COVID is like when something huge happens mm -hmm. and that, that life changing event does happen, which mm -hmm. for me was, uh, was going into a period of like serious clinical depression mm -hmm. and then eventually getting medicated and coming out of it. It was right. like after that, it's like you have perspective right. on your life now and you see things so differently. And I think after that was when I really started thinking like I was already, I was already published by that point. Like mm -hmm. three of my books were out. Um, and I was just like, I don't want to like, I, I want to write. I want that to be what I do. Mm -hmm. I want to pursue things that interest me. I want to pursue mm -hmm. like hobbies. I still have to make money. I understand that. But like, I don't want to waste my time. Yeah. Just going through the motions of right. something that I don't want to do. Right. Um, so then I quit that job. And I think I, I just started really spending more time with myself and looking and being yeah. like aware of the world around me. And, um, and I think that happened with COVID a lot too, is you see all these people like quitting their jobs, staying home more, like all the, the like people making bread and right. stuff. It's like they, they COVID shook them up and made oh, them yeah. like stop and, and think about what they care about and what's mm -hmm. important. Mm -hmm. And they were like, Oh, I'm spending more time with my family. I'm mm -hmm. pursuing things that I've always wanted to do. I'm right. trying something different. Like, I feel like it's like, maybe it's like the, it feels like you're using your brain again. It feels right. like you are aware and present and yeah. like, um, that's such a, it's such a like revelation when it happens to you. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think even now, like I've gone back into some States where I feel like I'm sleepwalking through my days, mm -hmm. but I think I'm better able to like recognize it now and say like, hold on. Right. You are, you're doing that thing where you slip away, where you, right stop being aware which is okay in like very small amounts but like let's let's get up let's drink some water let's mm -hmm. go for a walk and like get get into something like yeah use your brain let's let's go let's start yeah for me it's when i realize that i'm out of clean underwear and i probably need to do the motherfucking laundry <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> girl you need to pull yourself up and do the fucking laundry <laughs> it is like it is you got to do something. That's I do something. I, I, this morning, uh, before we started recording this, I was sitting on the couch playing uh, a new video game that I just got. 
Mm-hmm. And like, it's one of those games that you can just kind of get lost in and spend like hours playing. Yeah. And I was like, at a certain point, I realized that I was starting to get a headache because mm-hmm. I hadn't had any water in too long and I'd been sitting in the same position. And I was like, ooh, yeah. you got to move, buddy. got to fix that. Gotta you got to get up and do something else. Yeah. Like, um, I, I was so, one of those people that changed careers during the pandemic as well. Oh, nice. Um, so my library went through a restructure, you know, uh-huh. to, you know, cause we were not people not coming in the building. And so I didn't lose my job, but they eliminated my position. So I got moved into a different department and I just really didn't want to do that job. Um, yeah. And I really loved the library system where I was working, but I had been working from home at that point for probably about three months mm-hmm. and had just loved being home with my kids um, and being home with my husband, who's a stay-at-home dad. So, like, it really was the four of us, like, all day, every day. And yeah. we get along really well. Um, you know, it's not always yeah. perfect. Like, sometimes I'm like, get the fuck away yeah. from me. Mommy's going to read now. Um, <laughs> but but um, we had so much fun together. And so I went back to teaching. Like, I became mm-hmm. a school librarian for two years because I was like, I'm yeah. going to have more time with my kids. It ended up that being a school librarian was just not it for me. And so uh-huh. I was not happy doing that, even with the extra time with my family. So now I'm back in public libraries. But that was what made the change. It was like, yeah. I'm home with them. And I really love this. And mm-hmm. what I'm doing now is just prioritizing them because I really didn't do that with my previous library. Mm-hmm. And so my rule is I work 40 hours. That's what yeah. you pay me for. Occasionally, yeah. I have to stay over a few minutes here and there. That's fine. But I'm not, I'm not working 50 or 60 hour weeks. That's just not yeah. happening. That's not happening. Exactly. Exactly. And I'm like one of the only people in my library that have young kids. Like my kids are nine and six. Like they're little, like my six year old, you know, he's all he really knows is pandemic. He's a first grader this year. So yeah. Gosh. um, Yeah. So anyway, yeah, they, they keep, you know, talking about how they need to catch all the kids up. Right. And and my Uh son's one of the people that like most of his class did not go to preschool, which is like not something that happens anymore. Yeah. He went to preschool, um, but that doesn't really happen anymore. And a lot of them didn't. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh, that's, I, I am, I am very curious to see, like, as this younger generation grows up, mm-hmm. like this generation that kind of was either born during COVID or, mm-hmm. I, and I, I don't think for the ones that were born during COVID, I don't think it'll be that different, but like the kids who had that, like, Mm-hmm. You're not in school anymore. Right. You're not seeing your friends like during these really formative years. Like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm interested to see how they turn out and right. how they view the world. And like, what, what, what's their sense of humor going to be like? Right. And what's because like millennial and like Gen Z sense of humor is already like shit posting and stuff. So right. it's like, what is it going to be like for <laughs> kids that had to go through the pandemic? You know. Right. Well, and like right now, raising two kids that went through the pandemic, like one being Mm -hmm. young, like my youngest, Sam, and then my oldest being autistic. And, you know, like Mm -hmm. he was, he wanted to go to school because of the, you know, that was normal for him, but the not making friends part of it, like he didn't care. Like he doesn't, he doesn't have so very good social skills. So he was like Mm -hmm. fine with not having socialization. And I actually went to the school board and spoke and was like, I really need you to reopen schools. Not because I don't, it's not because I don't care. Like it's not that at all. There are kids like my son who are really lacking social skills and they're not going to get them like at all. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. This is like, this is something that's really a problem for him. Yes. Um, 
So fortunately, well, I'd like to say that schools are saying things like, we're going to change the standards to meet the current class. But no, they're not Mm -hmm. doing that. They're just saying that all the kids are behind and we're going to work on catching them up. The standards were created by people who weren't teachers anyway. Okay, I got to get off the sofa. I know a bunch of teachers and it's just been, it's been chaos. So like, um, but what something that you said made me think of something else in this book, which was, um, talking about like socialization skills and how we socialize Mm -hmm. and like uh, i i occasionally like okay so first of all i have seen so many stories movies books Mm -hmm. whatever where there's like a zombie apocalypse or a Mm -hmm. big big thing where it is a it's a um symbol or a a metaphor for Mm -hmm. um like Oh, they're just staring at their phones all day. They're like zombies. Oh, they're not real people. And there was a part in this book where they talk about how like phones are like a miracle. And when you're staring at your phone, you're not disconnected. You are more connected than anybody has ever been in the history of humanity. Right. Um, And I really liked that. I liked that she didn't take this uh, like... Technology is the problem. Technology is the devil. It's like, mm-hmm. no, technology is a miracle. Right. And it can be used for bad purposes and it can do bad things right. to us. But like, it is not evil mm-hmm. and it did not cause these problems. And like, when we don't have it anymore, look at like, we can't even keep like, we can't keep track of each other. We can't keep, right. you know, They literally don't know if there's anyone outside of the US. They literally yeah. don't know. They don't know. And so like, there's there's that aspect of it, like how technology uh, connects us and makes us able mm-hmm. to communicate. But then also the idea of like kids now, like there are sometimes I, I see people on the internet who it's like you have spent too much time on the internet, mm-hmm. like because when you interact with them in real life, they interact. They don't know how to handle. <laughs> they don't know how to handle like face to face interaction. Mm-hmm. Which is just from a lack of experience. And it's like, you know, the the social the social cues on the internet are different from the social cues face to face. And like and like I'm I'm autistic and like when I was growing up socialization was very hard for me and I had to learn all the scripts and mm-hmm. you know, um the internet was generally easier to learn because it was more cut and dried kind of, Mm -hmm. and you don't have to read body language, you read text. Mm -hmm. Um, And so like the idea and like, I've, I've worked in customer service, so I feel Mm -hmm. like I'm very good at it now. You have to get very good, but like the idea of the only way you interact with people Mm -hmm. in this future is face to face Mm -hmm. and you really have to know how to read body language. Mm-hmm. You have to re- be able to read in between the lines. Right. Like, is this, is this person wary of me? Is this person safe? Safe is, are they like, how do I come off to them? Mm-hmm. And so like, that makes me wonder like, who would have the skills to read other people mm-hmm. and read those social situations the best mm-hmm. because I, I almost feel like those would be the most valuable skills in that yeah. world like some of the most valuable obviously you need to know how to like find food and water and mm-hmm. shelter um but it's like when when the downfall of civilization is other people mm-hmm. like is is the people themselves 
It's like knowing how to bond with other people and be trustworthy and navigate other people's emotions and body language and all that stuff. It's such a big, it's huge. It's huge. And like being online so much mm-hmm. would really hinder people yeah. and being able to, obviously this is a fictional situation. So it's not right. like nobody, no, I- there are not situations now where people are, are dying because they're on the internet too much. Right. Um, but it, it just made me think um, about that kind of thing. When what you said made me think of something that's not really related, but I did find it really interesting that she chose not to have famous people be like survivors. Yes. Right. So I guess technically Arthur Leander's ex-wife, um, you can't think of her name, uh, the prophet Elizabeth. Elizabeth, she's technically famous and she survives. Although at some point she must die because she's no longer with them. Um, yes. But uh, it, that isn't what happens here. It isn't like the, the famous and rich people got to be saved because they were famous and rich. It's not like the president somehow was saved and like is now leading the country again. It's literally lawless, feral community yeah. that's left. Mm-hmm. And I think that was just such an interesting choice because I, I don't believe that that would be what happened. Like I really yeah. feel like wealth, privilege, People mm-hmm. affected by COVID were the numbers were astronomically higher for people who lived in poverty because yeah. they don't have the same health care and they, they don't, don't have, have s- the options to not work. They don't so. have the same health care. They don't have the same options to not work. And in, in specifically in the book's case with like a disease that moves so quickly, mm-hmm. it's like the president of the United States would have been one of the first people to get quarantined. Right. Like, and then every, like, every high-ranking political figure would have been quarantined. Elsewhere, um, not together. Elsewhere, not together. Like, mm-hmm. the, the, I, there were, like, in the early days of COVID, there were a ton of celebrities getting COVID. So I absolutely do think that the celebrities when, would die. When Tom Hanks got sick, everyone was like, shit, this is real. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. exactly. This is real. <laughs> Everybody was getting sick. Um. Like Trump didn't get Trump got it, but it was like months Next, after the yeah. fact. Mm-hmm. Um, and Almost so it's like, like a year after COVID first. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's like I absolutely believe that like the people in power mm-hmm. who would have had the the knowledge of like mm-hmm. quarantine now, right, right, would have been more saved, right? Um, because there really wasn't like in this book, there really wasn't like a medical help will save you. It was like mm-hmm. if you get it, you're dead. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I agree. Like in yeah. in a pandemic where there is some kind of medical help, mm-hmm. the, like yeah, most of the survivors will probably be s- the very rich mm-hmm. and and mm-hmm. you know famous. Yep. Um, yep. And so I and, thought that was it was a good choice that that wasn't the case here because yes, was interesting. Um, yeah. And yeah. And, and I like the fact that, like, like you said, she did show it. Like, she had Elizabeth and mm-hmm. Tyler there. Yeah. And it was like, they did survive, but it was like, your fame, like, it did nothing for them. It did nothing. Mm-mm. Like, they, they just got became... They got to stay in the sky-high, whatever. Sky-miles lounge. Lounge, like, yeah. <laughs> which, which, 
it was like they could stay pretty much wherever in the airport right. at that point because right. it was a, it was okay. free range like yeah Go sleep in the massage chairs like you could yeah. be anywhere <laughs> it, it almost felt like it almost felt like because like it didn't seem like elizabeth helped out that much with mm-hmm. getting the airport habitable no for sure it not. almost felt like her all that being famous did for her was give her like a lack of reason to do anything oh yeah and so she just kind of, and it's like Tyler yeah. played his Nintendo console until it died. Right. And then he just cried. And then yeah. he walked around reading the Bible. Like, right. Although that probably would be my kids. Their tablets would die and then they would cry. <laughs> <laughs> it would have been me too. Like, <laughs> It's over now. Yeah. Um, I, I also think um, when we talk about like that loss of technology, there's a scene in this book where someone, they go out, they send a search party out from the airport just mm-hmm. to see if there are any survivors. And they find somebody who cries because he thought he was the only one. Right. So he just yes. cries at seeing another person. And like, yeah. I feel like that would be reality too. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. 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 You would just be so, it'd be like, Oh my God, there are other people. Mm-hmm. I'm not alone. Like, I'm not alone. Right. And you would just be so relieved yeah. that you weren't alone. Right. That, you know, because your initial instinct would be survival, and then after that, it would be like, okay, but who else survived, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, um, I did have another question on here. If you wanted to talk about NaNoWriMo, did you want to talk? Oh, about yeah, that a little let's, bit. Yes, and then, let's. And I mean, we're over time already, but I hey, think we, and I think we covered like everything I had really. Yeah. So over time but like this is a great conversation i love getting to chat with you it's just so fun it's so fun (laughs) i love coming on (laughs) molly if you're listening i'm so sad you're not here i know you need to go back i know she's like so bummed too because she's a writer and she just started a new she just started a new book that she's doing a lot of world building and she's like drawing maps and things and like there's just so much going into it and i'm just like Mm -hmm. i just really want you to finish the romance novel that you sent me the first five pages of because i can't (laughs) i can't with you changing topics again (laughs) (laughs) that's the problem with being the writer's friend right (laughs) yes I have had I have had friends who are like, so when are you going to write that now entering Adamsville sequel? And I'm sitting there like, when are you going to pay me for it? Right, right. So I'll take the money, please. Yeah. <laughs> so, do you plan to like uh, to write for NaNoWriMo this month? Do you have a, or so it's November now. So are you? It is November just, now. Are you participating? So yes, and as of like. October 30th, I was like, I'm gonna do it. Mm-hmm. We're gonna we're gonna get it done. I have an outline for a book. I'm very excited about it. And then like, November 1st hit. And my, uh, you know, I was talking to my agent, and she was telling me about like, some some opportunities we have that I need to like write pitches for and write a proposal mm-hmm. for. And I was like, well, Nano's gonna wait because <laughs> I have to uh, write I have to work on this proposal. And I did that thing where I write like, it's like, Oh, I have to rewrite these first three chapters, Mm -hmm. wrote 7,000 words of it. And I was like, I like the original draft better. So it took me all this week to get that material together for her. And I have not had a chance yet to write a single word on this nano book. Mm -hmm. Um, I have the first chapter done, but I wrote that at like the beginning of October. So 
Well, you're going to get zero judgment from me because I'm not a writer. (laughs) (laughs) So writers listening might be like, what are you doing? But I'm like, ah, that sounds like you were doing your job. You had things you had to write that were for your publishers. I did write 7,000 words. So, but like for the writers listening, um, I, so, so I have participated in NaNoWriMo probably uh, since 2012, I think. Mm -hmm. Or 2014. I don't know, somewhere in there, since mm-hmm. high school. Um, oh, maybe it was 2010 then. Anyway, since high school, um, I know earlier when you said where you were when the when the two towers fell, yeah, I was I'm like, old, I know. <laughs> I was like, I was in first grade. Yeah, I, I could have been so your I teacher. Like when yeah. I was teaching yes. the first time around, my first class was the class of 2005. So yeah, yeah. I was in, I was in elementary school. So yeah. anyway, um, for, for the writers out there, like I, I've done NaNoWriMo for a long time. And like in earlier years, it was like, I could get two books done mm-hmm. in a, in a month. Like that's incredible. I, I would just crank this stuff out. And it was because like I was in high school and in college and like, mm-hmm. I didn't have a lot of other responsibilities and I didn't mm-hmm. have like as much, on my mind as I do now. Right. And like every, I just want the writers to know that like everybody, if, if you are somebody who struggles with doing NaNoWriMo and you struggle with getting the words out or getting it all done, or like you, you just, you're so busy during the month, like that's okay. Like mm-hmm. the point of NaNoWriMo is to help you. It mm-hmm. is not to put stress on you to like, right. if I don't complete this, I'm a failure. It right. is, it is to help you try no, that's to for get your fans to do. <laughs> Yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so it's like, it's like people, you know, sometimes it's like, oh, can you, can you tell us about what you're working on? And it's like, I could. Will I? No. Because then I don't want it. And it's like. I want the piano story. Like, I want piano it. Story, the piano story I told people about because I had already had a finished draft. So I was like, it's still ha-. like, it's, it's it's not that big of a deal. This one that I'm writing right now for Nano, like I'm super excited about it. Mm -hmm. I've told like, I've told my boyfriend about it. I've told Mm -hmm. some of my family members about it, but it's like, I'm not putting that out online because I don't want anybody to want it and then be disappointed when it never gets picked up or it doesn't, you know, it doesn't end up being what they want or whatever. So like Nano, yes, I'm definitely doing it gonna try to do it yeah gotta finish that artwork for the inside of gray mist fair first but yeah i i have the scrivener file pulled up right now i'm gonna get some words written today nice i think i think most people don't realize that authors don't necessarily write they write a whole book and then it's published and then they write a whole book and then it's published like Mm -hmm. most writers do not write like that they are working on pieces and parts all the time now there are some authors that that is what they do they only yeah. focus on one book at a time because that's what their brain can handle. That's mm-hmm. the capacity. But they've written books in between their published books. Like John Green oh, yeah. has has a, one of his videos. He talked about how he wrote an entire book in between. Um, can't think of which one came. Paper Towns maybe came before looking mm-hmm. for or for um, before um, the Fault in Our Stars. He wrote an entire book in the middle of there, and he just decided it wasn't good. And yeah. wasn't going to publish it. And so, like, that's crazy to me. There's, like, a whole John Green book out there somewhere that is never yeah. going to come to fruition. Because yeah. it just wasn't it. Which, wasn't it. I would still read it. 
like there are so many books of mine like cats and yammer even Mm -hmm. was i wrote that back in 2015 Mm -hmm. i think for nanowrimo Mm -hmm. actually Mm-hmm. It did not see the light of day until this year. Yeah. Like we even pitched it to my editor years ago and she said no at the time mm-hmm. and that, because it wasn't right. And then we came back to it and she said yes. And then it got published. So like I have so many books that I've written mm-hmm. that either got shelved for one reason or another or mm-hmm. just haven't been pitched yet, haven't been published. Right. I've rewritten things. Right. I have... Like some of the pitches that I did for mm-hmm. um, this thing that I had to do this week, um, one of them was for a book that I wrote years ago that mm-hmm. I was like, I don't know about this. This isn't right. I don't think anybody will buy this. Like we'll put it away. And then it's like, oh, maybe now is the time. Maybe like, now. Yeah. Let's put this out now. So yeah, it's like authors don't always write linearly. Right. Like right. if you are contracted for several books, you'd be like, yeah, okay, I got to write this one. Yeah, I've got to, like, yeah. I've got, I've got books from all kinds of different, you know, points in my life. Right. Where it's like, I don't even, if I wrote that same book now, it wouldn't be this, it wouldn't be that book. Right. And so, you write standalones. So it's different than like being a series. Like you're not necessarily expected for a book to come out every year. So you, you know, whereas like if you're writing a series, they, you know, they want that sequel within a year, year and a half, you know, kind um, of thing. Exactly. Um, and that's different when you're doing standalones. And yeah. most authors, when they are writing, standalone novels they do not put a book out every year you know Mm -hmm. there are people like james patterson that have books coming out all the time but people don't necessarily know that he doesn't write those books most of them are ghost written and they Mm -hmm. just get his name put on them and i really hate how much shelf space he takes up in libraries like he's literally in every department it's so annoying it's every department Um, but like, that's not normal so like if you are a writer which i'm not um i have written like a quarter of a novel that was probably good, but also Mm -hmm. like, that's just not, that's not me. I like reading books. I like talking to people about books, writing. There was a time I wanted to be a writer. It's not this time. Um, But like the point is don't quit. Like if you enjoy writing, it doesn't necessarily need to even be for publication. So earlier this season, um, actually in October, Chazzy, we had on an independent author who has, Mm -hmm wrapped up her series her final book in her series came out um this week actually and she wrote four books in the series Mm -hmm. that she's published independently and she's currently writing a book that she is seeking to publish traditionally Mm -hmm. and that was one of the things that she was saying that it was like just don't give up like keep going because she was doing it for her um yeah and uh yeah i think there's value in that yeah exactly like it's it's so funny because it's like so obviously so in eliza and her monsters she draws monstrous sea mm-hmm. which is the book that i've been working on since i was like eight years old mm-hmm. and i have been that book has been rejected so many times not by like editors it's never mm-hmm. gotten to the editor level mm-hmm. but like by agents by different mm-hmm. people like the number of times it has changed is insane mm-hmm. and it's like that is the one story that i'm like this is this is it. Like, this is to, to make it super dramatic. It's like, this is my magnum opus right here. <laughs> and it's like, I know, but there is nothing anybody could ever say that would make me give up on that story. Mm-hmm. Um, there are other stories of mine that I'm like, this is great. And then a couple months later, whatever, I'm like, this is not good. Mm-hmm. And I put it away. That one, it's like, sometimes you have to have 
you you really have to have like that belief in yourself and the mm-hmm. belief in the story that you're telling yeah to to know that it is worthy of the time and effort that you're going to put into it yeah and the struggle that you're going to have getting it out right well molly and i are still on pens and needles for monstrous sea to be published someday we're here for i <laughs> it is i feel, monstrous like, I feel like in my bones monstrous sea now <laughs> i want it now <laughs> oh it's just so like for those people who did not listen to the episode where Chessie was on in season two, go back and listen to it. I'll put a link below, but you actually talk about how there is an illustration in Eliza that's from like early, early renditions, right? It was like, you were like eight when that mech was, was drawn, right? Or so, okay. So the, I know exactly what you're talking about. The picture is, um, uh, it is a picture of like a big like anime type mm-hmm. mecha, mm-hmm. Um, and it has the head of a, a jackal. Mm-hmm. And I drew that picture in sixth grade. Yeah, sixth grade. Okay. And sixth grade, and uh, I had because I had it on the bus with me to school, and there was a boy on the bus who said that he didn't believe I had drawn it because of girls can't not. draw because girls can't that draw. well. Yes, and he threatened to tear it up, mm-hmm. um, and he did not, thankfully. And I was like, this is going in Eliza because that is a part of Monstrous Sea. And I was mm-hmm. like, I love that picture. It's still good. And I was like, I'm going to put that in there. Um, so yeah, like this is something that I have, like, I'm sure some people call it like, oh, it's obsessive. It's whatever. It's like, I'm not obsessed with it. Like mm-hmm. it is not, it the depths to which I go in Eliza with like her like anxious fixation mm-hmm. on it is not mine. Mm -hmm. Um, But I do love that story. And I do believe there is something good there to be told. And I care about it so much that it's like, I'm not going to give up on it. So yeah. Well, I think that's true of like, I want to read it someday. (laughs) I want to so bad. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, All right. Well, I think that's it. Did you have anything else? I I'm good. I just, I love station 11 so much. It is one of my, top top five favorite books of all time mm-hmm. maybe top three because i don't even know if i have a top five but like i can give you like a top 10 but it always changes but this one's it's, on it <laughs> it's like it's in no particular order no particular. it is just like the books that come to my mind first mm-hmm. of anything of like yeah. that changed me that changed the way i think about right. the world like i have a favorite book of all time and then i just have other favorite books yes yeah. <laughs> yeah that makes sense like my yeah. favorite book of all time is the hero in the crown by robin mckinley like minus to kill a mockingbird by harper lee nice i love it nice uh yeah. well we'll have to have you come back on in season four like you just have to, yes because absolutely katie wasn't here this week and you know she's gonna be sad <laughs> so yes i'm sad I know she's she's oh. a lot more fun than I am. I'm a little bit more. Fun than her. <laughs> you are you are plenty fun. <laughs> well, thank you. Don't lie to yourself. <laughs> All right. Well, um, so next week, uh, hopefully Molly will be back, um, and we're going to be talking about this book when you get the chance by Emma Lord, and this is a YA book, and it is as sugary, sweet, sparkly as the cover looks. Um, I am listening to the audiobook right now, and I like the narrator a lot. And then we're going to finish uh, November with this book, Before I Fall, by Lauren Oliver, which is also YA. Um, and this book is uh, 
not even the first Lauren author, Lauren Oliver that I read, but I love her books. I've read five of them and they're just, they're really good. So, um, so I'm really excited because Katie, because Molly has not read this book. So I'm excited to share it with her. So, um, so that's really it. Chesie, thank you so much. You are a delight as always. I'm just so thankful for you. <laughs> thank you for having me. I love coming on here. I can't wait to come back yes. and talk about something else. Yes. I'm we we could talk excited. about, uh, Grey Mist. Grey Mist Fair. We could talk about Grey Mist Fair. We could Let's absolutely talk about Grey Mist Fair. That. I, I love that. I love that And it comes yes. out in March. So we could definitely yes. do that next season. Love awesome. that idea. All right, that's it. Bye, everybody. Bye. Thank you for joining us on Book Besties with special guest host, author Francesca Zappia. Don't forget to like and subscribe. The views discussed here are those of Molly, April, and Chesi, not those of anyone else. Today's book was Station Eleven by Emily St. John Mandel. Your book besties are Molly Biggs and April Watkins, editing by Thomas Watkins, and music is Sleep Sweetly by Prigida. Don't forget to follow Book Besties on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube. If you'd like to contact the Book Besties, please email us at bookbestiespod at gmail.com or visit our website, bookbestiespodcast.com.